Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. If you're just joining us, this is part two of a very special episode all about England manager Gareth Southgate. And joining me, Tom Clark, to discuss all that, we've got two Gareth Southgate experts. Matt Lawton, Chief Sports Correspondent for The Times, has watched Gareth Southgate's career as a player and manager for nearly 30 years covering football. And David Walsh, Chief Sports Writer for The Sunday Times, knows the England manager personally and considers him a good friend, having helped Southgate write his award-winning book in 2004. And he also broke the exclusive story that Southgate would be staying on as England coach after the 2022 World Cup. In part one of this special episode, we discuss Southgate, the player. In part two, we discuss Southgate, the manager. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark, and I'm joined by Matt Lawton and David Walsh for this very special episode talking all about England manager Gareth Southgate. Now, chaps, we've covered Gareth the player. We've covered that miss in 96. He, we've talked about how he was destined to be a manager, and we've touched on that kind of leap point from Steve McLaren leaving Middlesbrough, Southgate still being a player towards the end of his career, but then being given the manager's job. Matt, you were talking in part one about how that seemed obvious. That seemed like the way it was going to go because of how Southgate carried himself and he felt like the natural progression. Is is that how it kind of transpired and into those early days of um, being Middlesbrough manager? Yeah, look, I think Steve Gibson took those kind of chances. He did it with Brian Robson, obviously. Um, but he did see someone, as I say, I think even when McLaren was still there, yeah, what we were hearing was that was that Gareth was running the club, running the dressing room. So it was a natural progression at that time. Um, and he did, he started well. You know, he did the first couple of, you know, he kept them in the Premier League for the first two seasons uh, and was a very promising young manager. I remember actually going up, I think he was still at Borough. It might have been soon after he'd gone, but I remember having lunch with him up in Harrogate. Um, and yeah, he, even as a guy still in his 30s, like he and I are very similar age, we're a few months apart. But he um, he he has a you know he has a a, a confidence. It's a, it's a it's a quiet confidence because as I say he's 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 a very easy guy to get on with. And I imagine when David was writing the book with him, he was a joy to work with. Not just because of that anecdote about writing that last chapter. I'm sure you wish you'd asked him earlier and got him to write the whole damn book. But, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but uh, you could have just you could have just done the Andy Woodburn bit. <laughs> but. Um, but no, uh, look. As I say, I just think he's always had a presence about him. It, it was funny, and, and I know we're we're jumping on, but being in in um, Chantilly in in 2016, uh, when um, England self destructed against Iceland, and and we knew Roy was going, Roy Hodgson was going, and um, Southgate, we understood, was quite reluctant to to, to take the England job. Um, and that was the, I was quite surprised by that because I, I did think he was a natural for the job. Um, and as I say, I think it was always pretty obvious. It was always someone that just had, you know, I, I go back to when he was uh, an England player and the way that he, he would express his dissatisfaction with certain managers. I was in South Africa uh, with England when they were due to go and meet Nelson Mandela um, and as I understand it, Gareth and one or two of the other players, they just felt it was the David Beckham show. It was going to be Beckham and Mandela. And Gareth chose not to go. Um, and it was kind of because I think he was sick of the 
fawning sort of attitude that Ericsson in particular had towards Beckham. I was, you know, I watched the Beckham documentary docu series last week, and Gareth pops up in it quite a lot. You see him, I think, in you see him getting on the bus in after they've lost to Argentina, mm. and um, yeah, he was there throughout this period, and um, he, in a, in a way, he had the best education possible. Uh, as an international footballer in terms of the managers he worked under because he did he started well with with Venables then he sees the car crash that unfolds with Hoddle he sees another car crash unfold with Keegan and then he's works with Ericsson and actually sees 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 quite the, the the sort of polar opposites of the way that Hoddle dealt with Beckham's um uh uh mistake against Argentina and and how badly he handled that and you know publicly uh, blaming him which was just a, a ridiculous thing you know something the kind of thing that someone like Alex Ferguson never would have done you know he might have screamed at him in the dressing room but he never would have gone you know done a post match interview and actually uh, criticized Beckham um in that in that way and then saw at the other end of it just the the the, the sheer the sheer levels to which Ericsson indulged Beckham it was embarrassing you know that the way that um uh Beckham was allowed to host a party before the England team went to the 2002 World Cup mm. and and you know Sven Sven and Nancy were guests of the England captain at this sort of glamorous I think it had this ridiculous name um diamonds and something party um I'll have to look it up mm-hmm. but it was you know and and I think in that way he he was given this tremendous education as a player because he saw he was able to take the good bits from Venables in particular and, and some of the good bits from Hoddle the sort of tactical side of things and the coaching side of things but then he he also was given a great education in how not to do the <laughs> job uh, and I think that's one of the reasons he's proved so successful in in what he's doing now yeah well David, Matt talks about that kind of good start at Middlesbrough and I dug out a press conference um, transcript from an Arsene Wenger press conference when he was asked about potential England managers and he talks about you have plenty, Redknapp, Kerbishley, Coppel, Pierce, Allardyce, Southgate and this is only one year into Southgate's time as a manager. Obviously by this point you've got to know him far better, you'd written the book. What did that kind of managerial appointment do to him? Did he change at all as a person? No, I mean uh, he... he it- when he got the chance to manage, he he, he stopped his career immediately, um, um, and he really put, he invested himself hugely in it. He saw the Borough chance as a fantastic opportunity, and but it was a really tough time in relation to to Borough because they'd overspent. They'd had a culture of of bringing in the Alan Boxages, the Ravenellis, the Juninho's, and it was like it was like saying to saying to the fans, "We'll give you this star player, and and we'll give you this this kind of glamour of having a really high profile Brazilian or Italian or whoever overseas player." But it didn't lead to a successful borough. They maybe won more games, but they weren't winning anything. And when Gareth became manager, that era was being ushered, you know, out the door. And and Middlesbrough were going to have to cut their cloth to suit their measure much more. Steve Gibson had kind of tired of it costing as much as it was costing. And Gareth, you know, oversaw the kind of, you know, the huge reductions in the payroll uh, and much less... a team with some stars and he was trying to build a very young kind of 
team that was had a lot of graduates from the Middlesbrough Academy, which was quite good at the time. And, you know, they, they, I think they might have finished eighth in this first season, which mm. was good. And then they go down as good players get sold and they go further down and then they get relegated. Mm. And, uh, and they, they had a young team that maybe weren't, you know, attractive to watch. But they were, I think, maybe 11 games into their season in the championship. They have, um, they're one point, they're in fourth place, but they're one point behind the leaders, Newcastle. They have a home game against Derby County. They win 2-0, an impressive result. Gareth is asked at the press conference, jokingly, do you think this will give you a kind of a, an extra number of months or something like that? Or or do you think that this 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 is the win that basically secures your future? And Gareth said something like, well, it, it should give me a few months or you know, some throwaway comment like that, thinking he it was a throwaway comment. He walked out of that press conference and the media guy said, Gareth, could you could you go up to the chairman's office uh, at the ground? And he went and saw Steve Gibson, who told him, you're sacked. And he was absolutely devastated because he did not see it coming and it was a huge blow to him. He went home that night and he was in an absolute crisis mentally. And to deal with that, he sat down and made a list of all the things he had to return return to Middlesbrough Football Club, his phone, his car, every single thing, every single thing that was their property, he needed to give back to them in the correct way. Now, that was that was Clive's outgate, mm. doing what Clive would have done in that situation. You do the right thing. And Garrick goes in the next morning to say goodbye to everybody. And uh, he knows that Keith Lamb, the chief executive, has kind of been in a way, part of the sacking. But he still feels he should go and say goodbye to Keith. And he walks into Keith's office and he says, oh, Keith, just want to say goodbye. And Keith Lamb, who's no, no longer with us, and, and, and I say this kind of um, carefully, um, said, Gareth, I just want to say one thing to you, you know, because you may hear this from somebody else. But we were looking for a new manager for the last three weeks. And and this deal to bring in Gordon Strachan was done before last night's game. Mm. And Garrett just found that like a, like a kick to the solar plexus mm. following the sacking. So I'm up there in the press conference saying that this is going to make sure I don't have to deal with any Southgate must go kind of move for the next while. And you've actually made the decision. And then Keith Lamb said something to the effect of, he says, you know, Gareth, I'm... Um, um, the boss and I as in Steve Gibson and I believe that you know this is actually a good thing for you and in a number of days you'll be pleased that the pressure has been removed and Garrett said he he almost wanted to to punch Keith Lamb mm-hmm. at this point and he said he didn't he, he just said he said Keith you know the chairman talked last night about how in a few days I'm going to be relieved it's all over he said, I've thought about that since he said it. And he said, I wonder if after eight years at this club, you guys know who I am at all. Mm. And and they didn't. Steve Gibson would be, I mean, they were one point off the top. They bring in Gordon Strachan. He, he's gone by the end of the season. Yeah. 
they, they, they change managers for another seven years they get what a season back or um, yeah. uh, in Not the Premier 20, League 2016 under Ito Karanka yeah. yeah. and, and then they go back again and and Steve Gibson says you know what it was a huge mistake to sack Gareth Southgate mm. he's publicly admitted that it was a major mistake and it was and yet you'll have people saying oh he failed at Middlesbrough no Middlesbrough failed Gareth Southgate mm. not the other way around Matt, memories of that time as someone who has broken many stories about managerial changes, Crikey. ins and outs. I didn't get that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't get um, that one. No, but, you know, uh, you hear about people being linked to because I'm, I'm going to come on to the point that he then Southgate. You know, this is 2009. We've got a four-year gap in his career to cover before he gets the England Under 21s job. So, um, you know, are you hearing his name linked to other jobs going forward in the in that intervening period? Gareth. Yeah. Uh, I not really. Um, no. Um, not massively because I think I agree with I agree with David's summary of of what he did at Borough, but relegation damages. Yeah, um, I mean that's the perception, isn't it? Yeah. A young guy given a chance. Yeah, ultimate, ultimately ultimately got them relegated. And again, this 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 incorrect perception, in my opinion, that he's you know maybe too nice, you know, um, to be uh, to be on the front line, as it were, um, and. Yeah, so no, I don't think the jobs. I don't think that many. Uh, D- David's probably about to correct me and say actually he mm-hmm. had fifteen offers and uh, he turned them all down. But um, no, I don't recall him being in the frame for many jobs. Yeah. Um, after that, well, David, really. over to you. This is where my Wikipedia research ends because in two thousand and nine, he uh, gets sacked by Middlesbrough, and it's not till twenty thirteen that he moves to the England under twenty ones. What is he doing in that time? I think he did a. I think he did a lot of technical work for UEFA going to matches. I think he used it as a an opportunity to to kind of learn about football, to see how how academies at Barcelona and Real Madrid and how other clubs organise stuff. He was really interested in in travelling and basically seeing, because at the time, England's problem was they weren't very good at retaining possession. Technically, they were inferior to many of their kind of best biggest oppositions biggest rivals and Gareth wanted to see well how could we how could how can we get better better at that so he spent a lot of time doing that he started doing some tv work i think mostly for itv and they really liked him as a pundit and he was you know spending time with people like Martin O'Neill and 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 Roy Keane and 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 he 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 enjoyed that and basically he used it as a as a kind of a time to create maybe what he needed in the first place which was a bridge that would take him from a playing career into a management career he didn't have that bridge and it and no matter how you dress it up it didn't work at middlesbrough because he ended up getting sacked it may have been as steve as steve gibson says it may have been a mistake by the club to have sacked him but he got sacked but then he used the next 4 years really as a Let's let's create a bit of space between a playing career and and getting back into some form of management. And I don't think there were that many offers that were interesting to him. You know, realistic offers, let's say. And I think when the chance came to work with England's underage um, sides, he saw that as an opportunity to to change the game in England. And he was inspired by the big picture thing of how can we get players coming out of our English system that are technically as good. So he did see it as that. It, it wasn't just, oh, I've been out of management for four years. It's oh, the no. under-21s. That's great. It, this was, I can change English football. Totally. He would have always been a big-picture guy. Mm. And uh, and he loved the idea of 
of of being part of a group of people because it wasn't just him there were other people involved and they set out to change because Gareth would always say you go to underage matches and you'll hear the coach on the sideline telling the centre back to kick it as long as he could and Gareth used to squirm at that kind of approach to football hated it always wanted you know England's players to be technically at least as good as their opponents and that was never the case I mean um, you know Gareth would always look at um, he, I remember him once saying to me remember the, the famous Ericsson victory in Munich the 5-1 where Stephen Gerrard and David Beckham were firing these long balls up to uh, long diagonal passes to Emil Heskey and it worked a treat and Gareth's point was it, that worked because Germany had the slowest back four in the history of mankind that evening ageing and slow and Gareth said nobody sees that that's only going to work once most teams are going to you know lap up that and, and ultimately as brilliant as that victory was that's not the way to play football mm. And I remember Gareth saying that to me, and I'm thinking, you've beaten Germany 5-1. That was his assessment after the match. I, immediately, mm. straight away. He said, nobody's seeing this for what it is. It's a one-off. It, it won't work. The fact but, of the matter is, Germany were in the World Cup final nine months later. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Yes, so, yeah. You know, it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we were, uh, anyone that got overexcited that day was... Um, and and when you looked, be, uh, when you, for example, when you looked at... At, at Beckham and Stephen Gerrard at that time the amount of time they turned over possession the amount of time England's control of the ball ended with a long spectacular pass that actually didn't work because the centre backs weren't slow and they, w- and they were much better than Germany's well that was the story of England for quite some time mm. a team that couldn't hold on to the ball mm. Talking about England and the stories of those times when he's in that job Matt in uh, 2013 to 2016 that under mm. 21 job is obviously a time you were covering England the senior team mm. not not the most glorious of periods for the England national team under Roy Hodgson was Southgate in the background you know with the murmurs around what he was doing in relation to what David has said about trying to change the culture or was he just the under 21 coach well he's, he's, yeah again it, because he still suffered with the the Middlesbrough um, situation um yeah, the fact of the matter is, um, and I, I happen to like Sam Allardyce a lot, but when Roy went, Sam Allardyce was the choice. Mm. So that's kind of a measure of where Gareth really was held in the, you know, in the view of um, of the FA. No, he wasn't being talked about. As I say, I remember it was it wasn't me. It was one of one of my colleagues. I think it might have been Henry actually. Mm. Um, somebody spoke to Gareth uh, when we were in Shanti. Um, and this uh, was 2016. Yeah, this Euro was 2016, 2016. Yeah, and he just, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but he was not. He he was not keen on becoming the, the next England manager at that point. I, I think if you go back, you'll find that the FA wanted to present him as a as a, like a, a stopgap, and and that once mm. um, once we get these number of games over, we'll be appointing a real manager. And Gareth objected to that and didn't. There was a, the phraseology really, it really basically pissed him off like the FA were treating him like somebody who who they could use for three games and then get rid of hmm. and Gareth objected to that and said if you're going to give me this job um, I get it on the basis that I'm a contender when my when when these trial games are over and and the FA had to back down on that and say okay okay we hear what you're saying he felt that they, they had to, in, in, in how they'd originally presented it 
he felt I'm not, I'm having no part of that. So his initial reaction was not under the, under those circumstances. And the FA said, okay, okay, we hear what you're saying. You know, we'll see how this goes, and, and we'll make a decision then. And the decision you will be, you know, in in our in our process. Yeah. But how they originally presented it was. He would he would do it for these games and then he'd be gone. Yeah. It was almost like they were afraid of the public reaction. So if we tell you that it's only for these games, the public, you, the public, will find that easier to take mm. because Gareth would not have been if it had been a if it been a public vote at that time. Yeah, Gareth wouldn't have been a contender. Well, it's Hodgson to Allardyce very briefly, as you said, Matt. But it, mm. it was a temporary in charge. You're, you're outlining the kind of different stipulations there. But so this was temporary but with a trial almost. Yes. Let's see how we go. Yeah, and that's what Gareth wanted. He wanted, look, I will do this, but I do it on the basis that if I do it well, you you then consider me seriously. Mm. And the FA kind of thought, oh, okay, okay, and bit uppity, but, but we hear what you're saying. Yeah, because it is quite a jump, isn't it? I mean, if we're t- judging it from the outside, we're obviously talking to two people who know him well and know the machinations of hiring and firing mm. at, at England level. But this is a guy that, if you just judge it on, I'm joking about looking at Wikipedia, but he's a guy who managed Middlesbrough for three years and ultimately got them relegated and then got sacked quite soon after that. Yeah. And he's had a couple of years at under-21s, didn't do anything amazing, you know, showed promise of bringing through young players, potentially. Been a technical technical director as well, hasn't yeah. he? But, that, but that's not that's not a great deal no, no, when you're no, thinking he, about he, the, play, he, you he, know, but, the people that came but, before. But, Tom, um, consider that, that, you know, remember Adam Crozier? Hmm. He said, it's easy with an England manager. You you just look at the guy who's won all the trophies. So I, I give you Sven, Sven, Sven Gordon Eriksson, yeah. whose who's approach to management was, let, let's keep David happy. Let's 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 uh, uh, let's put all, let's put the senior players in control of everything, and and everything will be great. Capello, you know, great CV, but they didn't make England any good. No, and and when they were gone, you were left with nothing, mm. because they never attempted to create a culture that was English. Capello yeah. was awful. Yeah. Just never got it. Well, and, I, and, I wanted and, to talk about that, Matt, because I wanted mm. I, you and I were both at the Daily Mail at the time, and I was on a young sub editor working. Mm. And I remember the kind of the Hodgson, the chaos of Iceland, and then the Allardyce nightmare after. Mm. Give us a kind of sense as to what England head coach meant at that time and how it was viewed. You know, you were a good kind of judge of these things, being in the press conferences all the time. What uh, did Southgate walk into when he got that job? Well, I think there was definitely uh, after. Capello in particular, there was definitely a desire to try and uh, have an English coach again, um, because they'd had they'd been burned really by by the experiences with Ericsson and uh, and and Capello, um, because they were very different periods. Um, but there was madness um, with 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 both tenures. Um, Ericsson's because a lot of it was um, his private life. You know, I, I still remember. Uh, being in, I'm pretty sure it was Bratislava, and the entire press conference was just dominated by Ulrika Johnson. I, it was, it was bonkers stuff. Never mind that, there were the flirtations with, with other clubs. You know, there was the photograph behind a curtain with Chelsea. There was the, you know, the fact is Alex Ferguson changed his mind on retirement in early 2002, when he became aware that Ericsson was going to take over this team that he knew was another generation that was going to deliver lots of trophies and he suddenly thought there's no way that guy has taken over this this thing that I've built and and changed his mind and as we we know from the the tributes to um 
uh, Kathy Ferguson last last week uh, that that she was the she was the person that actually stepped in and said you know every, you know I've spoken to the lads <laughs> you know you you, you you can't you can't retire um, and then Capello came along and and it was it was madness of a different kind there was this extraordinary day there there, there, there was that in my opinion he got the whole John Terry thing completely wrong uh, he cho- he chose to be loyal to Terry when he got involved in the whole race storm with uh, with Anton Ferdinand and there were other issues with Terry um, but but there was this bonkers situation that people may may have forgotten about just before the 2010 World Cup and there was a there was a there there was a power vacuum at the at the FA I, I'm pretty sure that they that they were without a chair or a chief executive just before that tournament and Adrian Bevington who had been the been the head of comms and a damn good head of comms had stepped into this new sort of system and was the managing director man, managing director of club england and and Capello actually had done a deal, and we were all invited to this press conference to do something called the Capello Index mm. just before the tournament. And we're all sitting in this press conference going, hang on a minute. So when we're at this tournament in South Africa, at the end of each game, the Capello Index is going to give marks out of 10 to all the players. So if Ashley Cole has a stinker or, you know, Rio has a stinker or whatever, you know, the Capello Index is going to give them three out of 10, you know? And <laughs> And I always remember Adrian Bevington was sat at the back of the room and just this sort of look of horror because we'd all been invited to this press conference. We didn't know what it was about. And and this it, it lasted. You know, Capello had to withdraw within hours, I, I seem to remember. But there was all of that. So they definitely, after that, and they paid these guys fortunes and, they'd under, and England had underperformed. The fact of the matter is... The so-called golden generation under Ericsson, you know, it never got beyond the quarter-final, despite all that ability. He could never make Lampard, Gerrard, and Scholes work, which is just a you know, you look back at it, you can't believe that 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 England couldn't find a coach that could actually get the best out of those guys and those sort of riches and, and make an effective international football team. Um, and then again, you know, when we got to South Africa under Capello they were so disappointing they mm. were so disappointing um, so Hodgson comes along and I think lifted the place people liked him did okay in 2012 but I think because of what had happened in the noughties because the FA had been burned so badly by just as David said chucking money at foreign coaches with great CVs they wanted to try and go with their own again. Mm. At that point, Allardyce was seen as the best option. He had done well, at, you know, uh, in club football, uh, unfashionable in many people's eyes. But you know, he had made mediocre teams relatively successful. Um, but it all went horribly. You know, he lasted yeah. one game. You know, the best, uh, the best managerial record of anyone, hundred <laughs> yeah, yeah. percent record. Um, uh, Adam Lallana scoring his yeah. own, the, the the goal. Um, and yeah, and Gareth was suddenly seen as David said it was a, it, it was a stopgap appointment, but he did well, yeah. and he just seemed to he just seemed to be. And I know we're going to get onto this, but he was just a natural. Mm. He was a natural in that arena. He was a natural with dealing with the media. He, he just, however much he might have doubted himself, and I think it's good to all, for any of us to have a, a level of self doubt. 
however much self-doubt he had he was just he was born for that role yeah a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. David, what was his reaction? What was he thinking when he got that job? He, when he, when he got that job, his thinking would have been, "This is an opportunity to do something I've always wanted to do, to change how England play, to change how England are perceived, and most of all, to create an environment where the best English players really want to be part of the England team." Mm. Because Gareth had seen all that; he'd lived through all of the stuff where the the Man United players sat at one table the Liverpool players at another and when friendlies happened everybody seemed to get injuries and and Alex Ferguson would allow two of his players to play for England for on a friendly but not the other three and England was like the poor relation to the top Premier League teams and Gareth wanted to create a culture whereby the players would say to their clubs you don't tell me when I'm playing for England Mm. if I'm picked for England I play every single time and that has been an enormous achievement and it's the first time in, in all of our histories to have seen the England club being in such a, you know, an exalted position from the player's point of view. Yeah. And that was a thing that he really wanted to do. Obviously, he wanted to improve the results and ultimately, he wants to win something big with England. And a lot of people, I don't know, I mean, it's really hard to talk about you know, how people perceive him because we're in a way guided by social media where there has been a huge amount of negativity, a feeling, oh, you know, he might be a nice guy, but he's a hopeless manager. Mm. And ultimately, England will never win with him, as if England always won with every other manager. And and people look at it, and, and perhaps I'm biased, um, but I just don't see a lot of logic yeah. in the anti-Southgate feeling. Yeah. I, I just, I just, I look at England play now and I, I, I'm Irish, so I don't have that national affinity to the team. But the England team now play better football. They're more together. The, the England football was always full of scandals. Yeah, There are no scandals anymore. P- 
are, are very few. And the players seem to believe that playing for England comes with responsibilities yeah. in terms of their off-the-pitch behaviour. And the whole culture has changed and the England team is now a much better place for the best England players to be. And we can see that. We can see that in, in how they react to victories and defeat. I mean, the England team is a really impressive outfit now. Yeah. And it needs it needs a big victory, no question, whether that's going to be next year the Euros or the next World Cup. It needs a big victory. Well, you lead, you lead me on perfectly. Let's get into those tournaments and let's see if we can slag him off a little bit. What a bottle job. Should have won something along the way. Uh, I joke slightly, <laughs> of course. But 2018 World Cup, you know, this this was, to me, this was the big, of the three tournaments, this was his most impressive, I would argue. In terms of the team that he had, what he did tactically, you know, you have to think about he had players like Jesse Lingard and Deli Alley kind of playing as central midfielders. He pioneered this back three that everyone was going, what the hell is he doing? You know, looking at kind of quotes from beforehand, um, describing expectations as realistic and a really important staging post for our development. What was he really thinking? He was thinking, yeah, a, a staging post. Let's try and do as well as we can, but let's acknowledge before we go that we're, we don't really have a squad that's likely to win the World Cup. And he would have thought getting to the semi-final was a was 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 pretty good, and the game against Croatia maybe England didn't play that well, but but uh, I'm sure he felt that Croatia had more about them as a team um, than England had at that time. Um, you know because you mentioned Jesse Lingard and and Deli Ali who wouldn't be around for very long afterwards. But Harry Kane had a really poor World Cup at that mm. time. He looked absolutely jaded from beginning to end. He got the golden boot for penalties and scoring against, you know, kind of lesser teams. Um, but he didn't play well. And I'd say most people, if they were being sensible, would agree that England probably overachieved at that World Cup and getting to the last four. Or you could say were the beneficiaries of a kind draw. Yeah, I'd say I'd, I'd agree with you. And I'm thinking back to you know my period um, editing then and the sense that this was unexpected. This was really unexpected, which is why I think it's so interesting to go back to in comparison to the next two where people saying, oh, we could have done it, we should have won it. Matt, being there mm. um, at 2018, you must go in as a reporter with levels of expectation thinking quarterfinals. At what level do I go I th- in at narrative? I, I, I you said, know, for this yeah, one, was, th- it, was it just, I think see expect- what Gareth's got about him? I think expectations were pretty low, yeah. not least because Iceland was still pretty um, yeah. pretty fresh in the memories. Um, and because we thought that it was a kind of, it felt like a transitional period. There were a lot of new players. Um, we still had concerns, even though he's actually proved to be a very good uh, major tournament goalkeeper. There were, you know, we were a little bit nervous around Pickford, and um, yeah, I, I, I think he they did overachieve. And but what we really saw was how effective, and David's already used the word that Gareth could be in creating a culture, in creating a unit. Um, I, I see. I think when we when we look at uh, Gareth's tenure. Um, I would always say to those that are frustrated that he hasn't won anything, I would always say, well, were they the best team in any of the tournaments? Because for me, Italy were the best team from, from the get-go in, in the last Euros. I just thought they looked class. Mm. You know, that they, they were so balanced, brilliantly defensive. 
um, and and just just a complete team for that yeah. tournament. Well, They've obviously misfired since, but, yeah. but they were just really good, and I just thought the best team won. I thought the best team won in Russia. Yeah, we'll come we'll come on to the, the Euros, but, but just going back to your point about culture, mm. from your point of view as a chief chief correspondent following England a lot what mm. what does that actually mean you know to a listener what does that mean changing the culture is it is it about those dark matches against journalists that people see is it oh, about changing the dynamic terrible idea those you know right. what, but no what, but but, what, but what, what, what is it that's changing no the culture? David kind of covered it the, the 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 England squad for years and years was incredibly dysfunctional uh, there were uh, cliques there were rifts there were um, you know as I say the Beckham era in particular, ridiculous indulgence of star players. And that's the thing. I I think Gareth just actually had the best education possible to then become the England manager. He'd seen seen people do it well and he'd seen people do it very badly. And he'd been a player. He, He understood international football. No one understands the pressures more than the guy that misses a penalty in the semi-final. You know, so he he just came with, and look, you've still got to have the intelligence and the emotional intelligence to 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 be able to pull all that knowledge and and become an effective coach. I think he made a very good appointment with Steve Holland. Yeah, I think he he gets good people around him. He also changes things. You know, he he's changed the psychologist, for instance. He he brings different people in just to freshen things up. I think he's very effective at that. But he has created this partnership with with Steve and I just think they are a very very good team and he has you know he immediately challenged as I say um, he hadn't been there very long when he he took on Rooney and he just got rid of him Mm. bang you're gone mate you're never coming back and he never did come back Mm. yeah Um, just on that Matt uh, the, the Rooney kind of exit you're absolutely right Gareth had it in his head um, Wayne is a kind of an aging star now, and we're 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 going forward without him. Now I've got to handle this, and and Gareth went and spoke to Wayne Rooney and said, "Look, we can do this in a very intelligent, kind of mature way, and you can have a final game with England where people will know it's your final game, and you can get the send off you deserve. In other words, you can exit by the main ent- by the main door." Or you can go out by a horrible side door. I'd really prefer if you would go out, go out by the front door with mm-hmm. your hands raised and people acknowledging what you've done because you've been a terrific England player for a long time. And Wayne Rooney is intelligent enough to see that that was the right thing to do. You hear players saying all the time, um, I understood I was being dropped, but I just hate the way I was let, I was let go. I hated mm. the way it ended. Now, Garrett's achievement in relation to Wayne Rooney was handling his exit with the sensitivity and ensuring that Wayne got the send-off that he deserved. And that's like, you know, he's a... I know this sounds almost anti-foreign manager, but if a foreign manager comes in, he's not going to understand Wayne Rooney's place in the affections of England fans, in the psyche of the English England football nation. And he's not going to be too bothered. Mm. But Gareth knew that. And I would argue that the way he handled the Wayne Rooney exit was brilliant great yeah. man management now and it also speaks of his humanity just because uh, just because Wayne is not part of the future doesn't mean that I, I don't treat him incredibly well in the present yeah. and, and I thought that was impressive Was there any reaction we're talking about 2018 overperforming the Euros 
again, maybe not overperforming, but kind of hitting the absolute height of where we hoped to be, lose on penalties. Was there any reaction from him? Any kind of ill feeling? Any personal twinges of emotion? It's happened again to me again. No, I I think because of the initial reaction of some people towards the players who missed penalties, that just became such a big issue. And it was a really important moment after after the Euros lost to Italy, the guys who missed the penalties originally being being subjected to racist abuse by some people, which was horrible. And then a much greater number of people came out and said, that's wrong, mm. we're not having this. Yeah. And it was a, I thought it was a pivotal moment in the development of the England team mm. where the greater public said, we're not having it anymore. There's going to be no more of that. So when the disappointment came in Qatar, quarterfinal against France, it's a completely different reaction. Yeah. Everybody says, you know what, we've lost the football game and the team didn't play badly. And if Kane scores the penalty, who knows? Yeah. And it was an as 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 somebody said, th- there were no there was no damage in Trafalgar Square that night. Yeah, and mm. and uh, to me, I know it sounds when when people talk, you oh, well, what did you win? What are your trophies? England haven't won a trophy since '66, and he's got a win. Well, I don't believe that's the only victory going here. Mm-hmm. There are other victories, and I think th- this team has already achieved some some notable feats in terms of changing the perception of the England team and changing the reaction of lots of lots of England fans towards what the team does. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think any listeners would be denying that. What some of them may be shouting at me to ask is on the pitch in terms of the players that he's got, the talent that he's got. When you then come to 2022 and as you say difficult match against the finalists uh, in France, how much does he think about tactics tactical development you know i've highlighted and praised him for 2018 coming up with a solution and a team and a team and a lineup that for a squad that was a little bit limited perhaps but now a lot of people saying there's no excuse you know I, no doubt that the culture side absolutely brilliant what he's done but tactically and on the pitch is he is he in books all the time is he watching videos all the time the guy is the most tactically uh, aware manager that you could find anywhere. He was the most tactically aware player. Gareth was always looking at systems. He was always looking at the way teams played. He was always unimpressed by managers who didn't have a clue tactically and always spoke about them. The, the, the exception really was was um, Terry Venables, whom he thought was was brilliant. And he, 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 he made a point um, about Terry Venables that as well as being a brilliant manager, he felt that Terry's kind of humanity and his emotional intelligence was off the scale. Mm. And Gareth quoted a moment at half time in the game against Spain in Euro 96, where the Spanish left back, I think it was Sergio, was causing England real trouble by attacking. And Terry said, whoever was playing, I think whoever was playing right-sided attacker... Um, maybe Darren Anderton, I forget. But 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 Terry is saying, I want you to, to cover Sergio, his own assistant. He said, no, Terry, no, th- th- that's, not, that's not the solution. And Terry looked, and it's like, you could say, superficially, he's being undermined mm. by his own assistant in front of all the players, half-time in a huge game that England looked like they may be about to lose. And 
Terry looked at the player and said, boys, give me a second. And he, he goes and he talks to. And Terry comes back and says, 100% right. Darren, it's, uh, it, it's not you. We need, we, need, we need our right back getting forward and getting into Sergio coming forward. We mm-hmm. need to be more positive in the way we're going to deal with this. I was wrong and this is how we're... And, and what Gareth loved was Terry Venable's ability to take the criticism almost from his own assistant and say, I'm quite prepared to admit when I'm wrong. Mm. And and Gareth would do exactly the same. But the idea that he's not tactically aware, I remember a most recent game. Remember you, the, the victory over Scotland in Hampden Park recently? And quite a few commentators were saying saying that, you know, he he played... He played Phillips and he played Rice in kind of pivotal defensive roles. And Scotland didn't have one shot on target. And he plays two basically defensive midfielders. And I'm talking to Gareth about this and he makes the point that the reason Scotland didn't have a shot on goal is because we were very well organised defensively. Now, we've still created lots of chances, scored three goals against a team that had a really good record playing on their home ground. But people are kind of criticising him for for having two what they saw as defensive type midfielders against a team that never got a shot on goal but they don't realise the reason Scotland didn't Mm. get a shot on goal was because that's how the team England team was set up so uh, I'm not I'm always taken aback by how many people who've never coached a football team in their lives (laughs) think they know more about tactics than the guy who manages the England team, who's played mm. for the England team 57 times. It staggers me that people are so certain that they know more. And of course they don't. Mm-hmm. But it's the world we live in. And is it as is it as kind a world as, as the 1996 world? I don't, I wouldn't, I would have said not. No. I also think it's amazing that, you know, uh, the criticism for the Italy game at Wembley was that he was too, too negative, that he wasn't ambitious enough in his tactics. You know, when you look at England, certainly this century, England has not had a world-class goalkeeper since a younger David Seaman. Just hasn't. There's just for whatever reason. You know, the fact of the matter is, you know, the, the, the guy that the guy that the, the best that Gareth had available is the, is the Everton goalkeeper, who's never even been talked about as a potential keeper at any of the top six clubs, right? Then you look at the fact that he's, you know. Imagine, because everyone gets very excited about the players that play further forward for England, and even from you know from Rice going forward. Yeah, yeah. I bet Gareth only wishes he had defenders of the quality of the players that he played with. Yeah, you know the Ferdinands, the Terrys, the Ashley Coles, the Gary Nevilles. He just hasn't. He just hasn't got that quality. So the idea, and particularly, okay, John Stones, I think, is now a terrific footballer and the last couple of seasons has been brilliant and, you know, what Guardiola did with him at City last season, you know, terrific footballer. But he did have, you know, by 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 the last tournament, you know, by Qatar, he's dealing with Harry Maguire who can't get in the team at his club, his club side. So the idea that he can just, you know, he should be, him and Holland should be just more aggressive, he's always got to He's always got to try and come up with a system where he can give Harry Kane and Phil Foden and Mason Mount and all these wonderful players and Sterling when he's actually you know when when he was in the team the opportunity. But he is there's a weakness there that yeah. he's always got to try and address. Yeah. So it's all about balance, and I I just think it's I just think it's naive to think that um, that he is somehow 
uh, overcautious. Um, th- there's a reason why he has to be cautious. There's a reason yeah. why he has to try and come up with a system that best complements the the talent he has available. Yeah. Well, I'm going to come to a final question, but just before that, David, how how close did he come to leaving after 2022? I don't think he came close at all, to be honest. I mean, his initial reaction was, I'm going to need time, I'm not sure. Um, I spoke to him three days after the um, France game, and we had a long conversation. And he was absolutely adamant that he was going to stay, even though he hadn't publicly announced it at that time. And if I could tell a story about that, and I hope Gareth doesn't mind me telling this story, because... um, Tell it, tell it. (laughs) It's going to be be a repeat of that column, (laughs) 2006. Um... Basically, we talked about the game and I asked Gareth a couple of questions that he said, um, no, I don't want to go into that, if you don't mind. Even though we're people who we speak a lot and and I would, you know, it's like a, like a brief, it's like a chat we have and Gareth understands it will help form views, you know, that, you know, it will help form the piece I'm going to write. Yeah. And it's like an acknowledgement that we're, We've been good friends for more than 20 years and I helped him write the book and we've always stayed in touch because he's that kind of guy. And um, but he tells me things that are that are that are not public knowledge, you know, little things about the game, you know, that that, you know, he was lamenting the fact that he, I mean, Gareth loves Kyle Walker. He thinks Kyle Walker is just an amazing right fullback and who defies all the predictions about about how he's going to play and who uh, and and how you know Mbappé will kill him all that stuff and Gareth would never have accepted that that was the remotest possible possibility but Gareth said given that it is Mbappé Kyle how about you don't go beyond the halfway line at any time in the game and Kyle says yes boss I, I agree Gareth that's 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 the way we should do it whatever it was 20 minutes into the game or 50 minutes into the game Kyle goes bombing down the right he goes so far down the right that when when Saka is is fouled as he was fouled but the referee didn't give the free mm. Saka's like is like 40 yards closer to the England goal than Kyle Walker who's right. who's further down the pitch so when the counter attack starts that it's going to lead to the Chiumeni goal like Kyle Walker is the furthest forward player on the England and Gary tells me you know like if Kyle had been there that trouble wouldn't have which it, it originated on the left mm. Kyle's side um, he's playing right back so the French come down the left and the goal comes in field back again scored and 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 when I wrote what I wrote for the Sunday Times I, I mentioned that and I kind of felt I, I I was entitled to but I wasn't sure but I didn't go back and check and uh, Garrett told me, he said, I'm, 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 I am going to stay on. So I wrote a story with a lot of what you would call insight because I'd spoken to Gareth. And I didn't, it wasn't like quotations. It was like, I said, this is what's likely to happen. Trust me on this. Mm. And it was all true, but it was, it was seriously embarrassing for Gareth because the FA read in the Sunday Times and Times Online that Southgate's staying with England. Oh, it's good to know, Gareth. You know, mm-hmm. we still have you. And Gareth absolutely hated that. He just thought, these are my employers. I've got to be respectful towards them. If I'm going to stay, I should be the one telling them, not not a newspaper mm. or a website. And um, 
So we had a difficult conversation afterwards where he said how difficult it was for him. There was players he had to contact because he'd mentioned stuff about players that he wasn't, he didn't think I was going to use. Mm. And um, so we had a, a series of conversations. But it ended with Gareth having thought it true. He said, look, you know, and because I apologised, I said, look, I thought I was okay to use that stuff. And he said, you're wrong here. You, you, you know, it's not, it's not really for you to apologise because it was my mistake. I didn't make absolutely clear what was usable and what wasn't. And you did what you thought was okay. No, it wasn't okay. But the reason it wasn't okay was because I hadn't drawn the lines and I hadn't, I hadn't got it right. And that's the kind of guy we're talking about. Somebody who's intelligent, who's incredibly fair, and and that fairness and that like conscientious doing of the job. Because every England player gets phone calls from Garrett Southgate, you know, when England are not in camp. If if something happens in their lives on the on the pitch or something, he's in touch. He's building the relationships with him, and they feel that he's genuine. And it's not a it's not a common thing for a player to believe the manager is genuine. They might think the manager is good, but they don't feel the manager cares about them as human beings. Mm. Gareth has basically convinced all of these England players that he does care about them as individuals. He does respect them as individuals. He does respect their right to be people beyond footballers. You know, we're not going to stick to the football, as he's always said. And that's underpins what the England team has become that really mature sophisticated relationship between between manager and a group of players and I, I mean it's an incredibly exciting ride I mean a lot of England fans will be looking forward to Germany next year thinking we've got a really big chance of winning this we almost there will be people expecting to win it Yeah. Um, we now live in the kind of Jude Bellingham age we do we do we certainly do Matt do you think final word for both of you it's the same question do you think he has to win something with this team you know for all that you've praised him for for all that you guys have given insights to the listeners which I'm sure might have influenced some people to change opinion of him as a man and as a manager Mm. but do you think that ultimately in this age that David has outlined a less kind age than 1996 see I'm I'm not just sitting next to an Irishman but I'm married to an Irish woman (laughs) and the presumption that England are so often guilty of that they can win a tournament is off the scale and I just think that anyone that thinks they're going to win a major tournament is is underestimating how hard it is to win I think even if Gareth doesn't win in Germany next year um, and I hope it's not his last tournament because I've said it on this podcast before they should be literally chaining him to his desk um, and hoping that he keeps going I think Joachim Lowe went on longer than Gareth would have been doing the job um, um, because what would it be uh, by next year it'll be um, eight years I think eight years yeah I think Lowe went on for 12 maybe Mm. Um, and I I just think when you've when you found someone who's so well suited to the job you 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 try and you know Mark Bullingham's got for me one one important role in the next year and that's to persuade him to keep going Um, but I, I I think whatever happens, he's been a, he's been a brilliant England manager. Um, um, I because I, I don't expect England to I, they will certainly get to the latter stages because of the quality of the players they've got. Uh, and and as we, we've just mentioned him, 
someone like Jude Bellingham, you know, we, we, England now boast one, you know, one of the most exciting players in the world. Um, so, I, I, I think he he is a success. Whatever happens, he's even if he bombed out in the next tournament, you know, mm. somehow got eliminated in you know the last sixteen or whatever it is. Um, I can't remember how the competition goes this time. It's so confusing. Need mm-hmm. Martin Ziegler on here to explain it, but um, but no, I, I think he's been a tremendous success, and and I, and I don't think his legacy will be damaged by uh, a lack of trophy if that's how it ends. David, yeah, I I do I do agree with that because there is a kind of a, a school of thought that says when you take a job, any job, particularly a big job in sport, and especially if you've taken over the team. Do you leave that place in a better, better shape than it was when you when you took the job? Now, when England when when Garrett took the job, England had just lost to Iceland and had a disastrous Euros. Um, he's been in the job now seven years. I mean, more wins than any managers except uh, Winterbottom and and Sir Alf Ramsey. Um, now, it's absolutely certain that. W- that when Gareth goes, it's certainly, in my view, it's absolutely certain that when he goes, the England team is going to be in a vastly better place than it was in when he took the job. And that, to me, is the measure of, you know, that's that, me, that to me is what you use to decide whether somebody has been successful mm. or not. Because ultimately, they can, England can go to the Euros next year. They can be the best team in the tournament. They can meet France in the final. They can outplay France. They can hit the post four times. And the game ends 2-2 and France win on penalties. And people then will tell you that's failure. Mm. Easy for you to say as an Irishman, David, please God, let not, let not that happen. <laughs> Just on the subject of going, very last question to you, because he's still a young man, he's still a young man in football and in football management. Matt's talking about chaining him to his desk and wanting a long future attached to England. Do you see that for him or do you see club football again in his I, future? I, I do see club football for him. I think he would like a chance to work with players all the time. I think it's the frustration of every of every national team manager that you get so little time with the players he's very good with players imagine given what he's achieved with England imagine if he was with a group all the time I think he, he, he could achieve a huge amount I think he would want to and I could be wrong about this and if I am please come back to me but the thing that I love about Southgate with England is that if Man United decided in three months time you know what this Ten Hag hasn't worked out and we've looked at what Southgate's done with England and we're going to offer him the sun, moon and stars and whatever compensation is needed, we will pay it. Southgate would still say no because he would say, I've basically given my word that, I will, that I've signed a contract to stay until this and I will stay until this contract is seen out because that's where he came from. That's mm. his dad, that's his family, that's his background. And... Uh, England haven't had many managers with that kind of mm. quality. Absolutely. David Walsh and Matt Lawton, thank you very much for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating uh, to listen to all your anecdotes and stories and insights about the England manager, Gareth Southgate. We hope you've enjoyed listening as well. Uh, if you haven't, you can get in touch with me, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk, uh, or if you've got other suggestions for special episodes of the Game Podcast that you'd like to hear, also please do get in touch. Um, we'll be back on Monday with the regular show, but for now, thanks for listening. Thank you. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.